Well, welcome back everyone to the Whitetail Theories podcast. We are joined again by our turkey co-host through our turkey campaign, Grant Fisher, and a special guest, Hunter Ferrier from Spring Legion. What's going on, Grant? What's going on, Hunter? How's it going, guys? Appreciate you having me. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna continue our turkey campaign and uh the next podcast on the list is the Spring Legion. So we're going to get things rolling with just kind of the, the background and introduction start out there. So Hunter, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got into hunting uh, and we'll go from there. Cool. Well, I definitely appreciate y'all having me on and yeah, just a quick rundown. I'm from uh, originally from Raymond, Mississippi, just moved to North Georgia. And um, Spring Legion kind of came about in 2019 as an idea. I was kind of talking with my best friend since the age of three, Austin Seals. We were listening for turkeys down in New Hebrew, Mississippi one morning, and I was talking to him about some of the trajectory and trajections. I uh, kind of saw that uh, the turkey hunting community was putting out in the direction it looked like it was headed, not just populations, but the people that hunt them. And um, just felt like there needed to be something to represent turkey hunters nationwide and and kind of turkey hunting as we knew it to be down here in the southeast and i know there's so many other turkey hunters you know across the nation that kind of hold on to those traditional values and kind of the uh the old school theory of thought i guess if you will um and just something really regardless of how you go about it just something to celebrate the turkey hunting mindset it kind of sticks around year year round and and there there needed to be something to celebrate that highlight that and just bring light to that uh kind of tight niche community if you will um and and we decided to create a brand around it to uh it's really hard to uh kind of represent something that's not tangible like that just something that if, if we if we said it you know what we're talking about but we had to find a way to you know represent a a, a philosophy i guess you'd say um and, and the only way to do that was through apparel and um we started making hats in his mom's uh guest bedroom so we started stitching hats ourselves so we could wear them one spring and then it grew a little bit before the next spring. 2020 was our first, I guess, real year to have a, a name slapped on it with Spring Legion. And it uh, it's kind of blowing up from there. Um, kind of did exactly what we hoped it would do. Kind of brought a lot of people together over for the sake of turkey hunting and brought a lot of recognition to uh, the conservation of turkey hunting and, and just celebrating that spring mindset that we have. Um, and then, uh, then last year, uh, published the book Ballad of a Turkey Hunter, which kind of does the same and mentally illustrates uh, the sights, feelings, and sounds of which a turkey hunter holds deer through the months of spring and a few uh, unfortunate circumstances and lessons learned the hard way of throwing in there and hopeful woodsmanship tips and stuff like that that I've learned along the way. And it's kind of catapulted the brand as well. And now we're, I think, uh, at the moment, we're between number nine and number six on the uh, Apple uh, wilderness category on podcast charts. Wow. And, um, you know, it's, it's gone from like hundred number 147 all the way to the top 10, top five in, in that category, which is, a, you know, it's, it's awesome to hear that uh, the podcast has done so well and we're getting to interact with folks and getting to, you know, hear stories every week. We're, we're just as excited about stuff like that because we get to talk to these guests, you know, get to talk to folks that, that we want to hear from anyway. So it's, it's, it's a win-win all the way around and, and we couldn't be more excited for the future. 
No, absolutely. That's awesome. And kind of just to piggyback off of what you said there in the beginning, uh, trying to build a community around an intangible object right. and an <laughs> idea. Like you said, we're, we're trying to do the same thing here at Serviceside, and, and it can be very tough. But when you get people to buy into that culture and lifestyle, it's, it's a magical thing, especially when it's geared towards uh, a higher purpose. Uh, oh, yeah. That that is exactly what we're trying to do here, too. So I, I totally get where you're coming from. But before we kind of start diving into some of those other things there, which I definitely want to talk about and dive in pretty deep. Uh, as far as your background goes, I, I want to get to know you as a person. And I want the audience to get to know you as a person a little bit more. So can you kind of tell me about uh, some early hunting stories? It's like, when did you get into hunting? Uh, what made you fall in love with turkeys, that kind of stuff? Man, I I was turkey hunting probably since I could, maybe before I could walk. I feel like my dad told me around the woods when I was a kid um, for the sake of babysitting, I guess, and nothing more. And I didn't watch cartoons on, you know, Saturday mornings. I went and listened for turkeys with him. And uh, I think I was in the woods before I could even, you know, carry a 14 shotgun. I was just there to tag along and, and to watch and learn. And um, I remember, you know, hearing my first turkey gobble. I had, couldn't have been, you know, older than five. And then I think I shot my first turkey. I was seven years old. And there's a whole chapter in the book about that. And it's just, you know, when the hook set in you, they're in there deep and they're there to stay and, you know, you're kind of a turkey hunter for the rest of your life. I feel like, especially, you know, when you grow up in the, uh, you know, the swamps and horrible bottoms and stuff in Mississippi and it, there's some brutal birds down that way. So you learn a lot because you get uh, taught a lot about the birds, if nothing else. So, um, but now I've been fascinated with, you know, since I was a kid, I was, I was the one out there going to look for turkeys and calling up turkeys and stuff like that when I, you know, during spring break. As a, as a, you know, elementary to junior high to high school, you know, that's all I wanted to do was mess around with turkeys during the month of spring. And, you know, this is, this is just kind of one of those things born kind of, I think you're born for it. You're cut from a different cloth and kind of born into a breed that, you know, a select few, but a very passionate few are born into. And I think uh, a lot of us, you just can't help it. It's in your blood. So, um, but now turkey hunting's always been very special to me. So this is this has been the easiest decision to make was to make sure that others were able to highlight that and, and to be recognized as a turkey hunter. And um and, and like I said, with the you know, looking at charts and looking at rankings and stuff like that is awesome, but it's it's there it's definitely reassuring that it might not be as much of a tight niche community, but more of a silent majority that uh that a lot of other folks are. A lot of other folks are just as passionate about it and it's good to see that. And, and kind of giving them a way to represent that and, and getting to talk about it year round, honestly. So. Yeah. And kind of going off what you just said, um, talk about what you think makes Turkey Hunter such a tight knit group or silent majority, as you called it, where you and someone you've never met can just meet off at a restaurant or a campfire and you mm -hmm. think you've known the person your whole life just because you're just sitting there telling Turkey stories. Oh yeah. No, it's definitely, it's hard to explain to folks who've never done it, but it's, you know, it's one of those things I think you can, you can, I can look at a guy and tell like, I got, that guy's a turkey hunter right there without ever hearing him say a word, you know, it's just one of the, just his posture, his, his stature and how he carries himself. You know, if it's March, I can look and, you know, look in the eye and, and tell that guy, yeah, he definitely, he's a turkey hunter. He's probably pretty good too. You know, and you, tell, you can tell the, the opposite too, I guess, but uh, not to judge a book by those things. You know, it's it's kind of like a, a brotherhood that 
when you meet a guy, whether it be a, like you said, a gas station or something like that, if you, you get thrown on turkeys and, you know, they can say certain things or certain, you know, kind of uh, characteristics of a morning or something like that, or, or what a turkey did. And, and, you know, you know, exactly what, what he's talking about. You can, you can almost illustrate that in your mind. So I always like to ask my guests this, and I think it makes them think a little bit. What's one thing about turkey hunting that you know now that you wish you would have known in your younger years, whether it's like 10 years ago, five years ago, et cetera. Ooh, there's like thousands of things. I wish I'd have known that. There's a thousand <laughs> things. Yeah. Um, man, uh, let's see. I, I mean, I'd say I wish I would have known to, uh, to, um, to probably go hunt different places a little more, start hunting with other people a little more. Um, for years, I grew up hunting by myself. Like I said, you know, as a kid, I was out in the backyard just with a box call and a mouth call. And it's like, you know, I just grabbed some of my dad's calls and I wouldn't grab a gun. I just go just play with the turkeys outside. You know, I'd go call at the corner of a, we didn't have like 20 acres, but I'd go sit at that corner and call until, you know, nine out of 10 days, nothing would ever happen. But every 10th day, some hens or some jakes would walk up or something. So, um, so yeah, I mean, if I'd have known back then just to, to get some friends over and, and to hunt with them a little more, I, that few years I started hunting with a lot more folks, a lot more strangers, really. Um, and it's been, you know, it's been awesome. I wish I'd have been doing that for the past, you know, 10 years instead of the past two years. Yeah, and going off last year, what you're talking about, about hunting new places, maybe a little bit talk about your travel schedule and everywhere you went last year and the new people you met and hunted with. Oh, uh, it was Last year was really fun. Um, I uh, I didn't get. We went down to Florida. Uh, me and Seals, my buddy Austin Seals, he's co-host of the podcast. He's a big help in Spring Legion. We went down to Florida. Uh, it was around the opening day, opening week of uh, you know the northern half or whatever in Florida, and we wound up. We we got four in a matter of probably three days down there, and we a lot of that was timing it right. And we, that's when we met you know Logan Cook, who's he went to Mississippi state. We also graduated from Mississippi state around the same time. And, uh, <clears throat> Logan, he, he, he's the punter for the Jacksonville Jaguars now. And, you know, so he's living down there, not too far from where we were and an avid Turkey hunter. He's a, also a Mississippi guy. Um, we'd never really hung out with Logan. We knew who he was. And, um, he's got a show on Mossy go, uh, or did, and he's got a YouTube channel, uh, off days is what it's called. And for, for all I know, I think it's, it's definitely still on YouTube. He's got a, he was talking about a new season the other day, but you know he called us. He knew we were down there and called us. And he and Gary uh, Stant were actually hunting, and Gary had to leave to go play a show in Mississippi. Uh, ironically, so he left Florida to go to Mississippi. We left Mississippi to go to Florida and kind of picked up his, his hunting buddy on the. You know, once we got down there, I killed one the the first real afternoon we were there, and um, it was uh, Seals' turn and. Logan brought his camera and stuff and we got after him for 12 solid hours. And it was really cool to get him, you know, on camera and, and just meeting Logan. That's one of those things Like we met him probably 30 minutes before we hopped in the truck. You know, he just showed up at our little bunkhouse thing we were in and, um, or Airbnb or whatever they're called. And, um, hopped in the truck with us and we're like, oh, so, you know, we talked about football for about 10 minutes, Mississippi for about 10 minutes, and turkey hunting for the next, you know, two hours, I feel like. But, I mean, we were hunting with each other within, you know, minutes of meeting each other, and we knew exactly how to 
what each other's eyes expression meant kind of one of those things and it's just one of those we realize how this thing is nationwide and and then uh then I, I went back to Mississippi for a while uh wound up uh quit my day job around April uh after I think you try to run a, a brand or turkey season there's not much time for uh regular work and then also um you know anytime the turkey hunt so came kind of came down to it and Wound up. That was around April, and then I kind of hit the road after that, trying to make up for lost time over the past, you know, month or so. Wound up going to Tennessee, and uh, a buddy of mine wasn't a buddy of mine at the time. His name's Reeves, Reeves Ward. He uh, he lives up in Virginia, and he he sent me like a direct message or something on Instagram. Uh, saw that I was headed to Nashville, and and said, "Hey, you want to? You know, Virginia's open one more week. You want to ride up and you know get after them? Just holler at me." And I told him, I said, I'll be there, you know, at 4.30 in the morning if you want me to. And he said, come on. And I met him in a parking lot at 4.30, just kind of continued my drive. I didn't know Virginia was that far from Nashville at the time, coming from Mississippi. And I met him, and we got after him. And I'm killing my first Virginia bird, probably the prettiest bird I've ever seen in my life to this day. I still think that. Probably the biggest, biggest tail fan I've ever seen. Just a, a different sheen on them that the Mississippi Easterns and you know Alabama and stuff like that doesn't have up there in the north. I don't know why, but that passing me. Uh, got that and then came on down the next day, go on with my buddy Gary, uh standing at his place, which was very awesome because his first turkey really or not his first turkey, but his first turkey since he kind of got back into it, his first real turkey hunting with the turkey was with us down in uh, Mississippi in 2020. So getting to kind of go to his place after he'd already limited out in Tennessee, he's made up with it since. Um, it's, um, it was really cool just to, to, to be there with him to get my first Tennessee gobbler. Now he's, he's hooked more than anybody with the turkey hunting. Book. He's, he's become a, a, a true asset to the turkey hunt community. Then I headed out West. Let's see where to go. Um, Kansas, Nebraska. Yeah, just really. Um, but no, it was awesome. Just uh, I spent about a week out there. Got a couple birds in Kansas. Got a hybrid. Beautiful bird. Caught him. If I'm lying, I'm dying. It was like 780 yards. I mean, looking wow. through the box for the box call, and it was just it was really cool to to see that you know a lot of a lot of stuff that that was wasn't as much needed as a lot of people would have thought as myself included just um you know you know if you time the wind right getting a good shadow on a side of a you know a disc up field you can cause two long beards you know almost 800 yards with just a box call people did it for years i don't know why we had to assume we couldn't do that anymore but no it's still just as effective today if you but you got to get you know get out there and understand how to, how the wind works and how they're going to hear it and how you know how to react to what they're reacting to and that was a lot of fun and, and something I wish I would have been able to kind of get on camera or something like that. But I don't really tend to take one of those around. They get in the way and I'm not too good at it. So I, I just, and, and it's kind of already out there. A lot of, uh, old Dave the other day, Dave Owens, I was like, there ain't much he can, I can say that he's not already out there showing exactly what I'd be talking about, whether it being a booker and a podcast. So you could just refer to anything I say, usually go back and, see some of the stuff he's doing and then and then as a writer you don't want to kind of spoil too much it's, you know I'm, I'm just more of a 
uh, a, a writer. I, I like to understand what people are thinking and stuff like that. And he, he does a good job. And there's several other folks who do a good job of it. But I'm, I don't think I can do that, you know, to a camera. Um, let, me, let me jump in here real quick, Hunter. Uh, I kind of want to expand upon what you said there and what you touched on. How have you seen turkey hunting change, uh, basically, in your tenure? And then where do you see it going? So, like, in, in my opinion, turkey hunting is, like, really starting to come into the limelight, at least from my perspective. And yeah. get out in the fold, be in the front of media, uh, et cetera, et cetera, where it's kind of just been whitetails. <clears throat> and whitetails have been king of everything. But now you're seeing the shift in into turkey hunting and Turkey hunting is cool. It's the new thing to do. Uh, t- talk about that a little bit as far as like what, what you used to see it as, what you see it as now, and then what you see it potentially in the future. Because I thought it was pretty cool how you were like, people underestimate how good a box call could be. Yeah. Yeah, they don't, they don't understand it. They probably weren't, you know, they've never had to only use one. And that's, um, it's, um, Turkey hunting, I, I definitely think is like you said, it is the cool thing to do now. It is, you know, popular. It's a challenge. People, you know, it's a it's a pride thing. I think if you're able, you know, people kill one and they think they're on top of the world. And then, I mean, and rightfully so, turkey hunting is not easy. There's nothing easy about turkey hunting. Kind of no matter how you skin that cat. But I think you know, with the with the the, the crowd it's kind of attracting right now a lot of that is contributed to covid you know just the timing of covid if it happened in the winter we'd have a lot more deer hunters but um but turkey hunting is fun it is you know it is something you know everybody should experience and i love that people are getting into turkey hunting because that's more people that care about the bird hopefully there's an asterisk by that i think a lot of people are forgetting that part and it's just you know it's, it's, it's very it's an influx in hunters right now um and making sure that we're able to teach them that this stuff is very you know, it's a fragile resource. It can be, you know, depleted very quickly, you know, over a matter of a couple of years, you know, a couple of bad hatches and we're not hunting these, you know, for the, you know, probably the rest of our lifetime kind of deal. Um, so making sure that they're not just out there, you know, just to kill the bird and stuff has kind of been the, the evolved mission of Spring Legion really. And, um, and yeah, I've definitely seen a big, a big change in, in the culture of turkey hunting. Um, and I don't think that's just because I grew up in Mississippi where it's, you know, it's some diehard, you know, real deal dudes, turkey hunting down there. And it's, it's very historical, very traditional styles and stuff down there. And it's, um, you know, as you, as you get these new, new, uh, groups of people in or people that are kind of just migrating from one, like you say, uh, deer hunters that are migrating turkey hunters, they're, you know, they're just growing up watching YouTube. They're, they haven't been in the woods. They haven't had those opportunities to, to sit, you know, just a, on a tree when the swamp bottom with a gobbler and wondering where he, where he is only to have him gobble, you know, 30 yards behind you. And you have no idea how he got there, but you got to somehow figure out how to, you know, outwit him without him seeing you, you know, it's, it's kind of evolved into, you know, stake up, stake up blinds and, and uh, spread of decoys and, and fanning birds and stuff like that. Just stuff that, like I mean, you probably don't even need a call anymore nowadays, you know, when it comes down to it, but there's not a lot of fun in that personally thinking that I'm not down on anybody that uses any of that. I'm just saying that I hope that they're able to appreciate some of the stuff when I don't think they would be able to understand the addiction, the obsession, the, you know, the mind consumption and sickness that I kind of talk about if they've never done that. If that's, if that's what they're referring to, they probably think I'm an idiot for thinking it's that fun. But, but what I'm referring to is the, is the hard times and the, 
just times when a, a turkey schools you left and right and you finally do catch up with him, just, you know, man versus bird. And I hope that it, you know, that, that folks are able to experience that because I, I have no doubt that, that if they're able to, if somebody teaches them kind of how to go about it a little bit in that old school way, that they're going to, you know, that when it comes down to preference, they're going to prefer that because that's a trillion times more fun. Even if it's, I mean, you might get less bird, but you'll have a lot more fun doing it and you'll appreciate it a lot more. Uh, it's, it's a lot more rewarding. And, and there's been several instances of folks that I've, I've talked to and most of them don't go from the, you know, the, the simplified way to the advanced way. They kind of, once they try to, uh, the, the way I'm talking about, they're, they're kind of hooked for life. They're like, that's a whole new adrenaline right there in my, I know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, kind of to go into more depth with your talk about stuff you've talked about in the book and just other things through Spring Legion. I know you always describe how you think there's two different styles of turkey hunting, the curiosity versus persuasion. And if you can kind mm-hmm. of go on, if you go on to talking about that for people who haven't heard you discuss it. Yep. That's the kind of something that kind of, I mean, I wouldn't, I was probably, I don't know, I was, I was, I was probably early 20s, probably might have been in my teens um just sitting there and I'd always been against using decoys period because at the time I thought that you know if, if only people that aren't good at turkey hunting have to use decoys it's more of a have to use decoys because you're not good at calling you're not good at wizards, you know something like that and there's no reason like my dad would use them every now and then but um there was no reason for me to think that I just thought that and um over time over time I kind of started I'm a big why asker if that makes any sense. I want to know why, you know, at the time I was, I didn't use decoys because I didn't use decoys and that was kind of it. And, um, and if you brought a decoy along with you, we weren't going to be hunting too much longer because, um, I just wasn't a fan of it and, um, got around to, let's see, I went home with a buddy and, and it kind of dawned on me that, that I hunt by utilizing a, a bird's curiosity way more than, you know, trying to persuade him to leave his situation for the situation that I'm calling to be. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, mainly where I grew up hunt, hunting is, um, is, is a, it's very thick areas. Is there's a lot of cover. There's a lot of, I call them natural barriers, which, you know, being like brush piles, you know, down trees, creeks, bends and roads, stuff like that, hills, ridges, finger ridges running this way and that way. That's why, that's what makes turkey hunting pretty dang difficult in, in a lot of the, the southern you know states is because of the terrain more than anything you can't see 30 yards in front of you and then um and you can all you know they can throw their gobbles you know all kinds of different ways using the swamp bottoms water and and, and creeks and and hollows and stuff and so a lot of the times when i set up on a turkey i don't set up in big open pretty woods where he's going to be able to see a decoy and strut in 30 you know, in 130 yards and stuff like that. Really, I can usually only see about 30, 35 yards at the most. I'd love to be able to, you know, sit in open bottoms all the time. That's just not, that wasn't presented to me as often. So a lot of times, you know, if I'm, if I'm on a ridge or something like that, or in a hollow at the creek in the road or something going through it. And when I, when I set up on a turkey, I don't set up an open area, but I set up where there's a, a some type of structure that he's going to have to walk around to, you know, curiously look to see where the hen that he's been hearing is where she went where she might have gone to and stuff like that or, or what's happening over here so it's not a lot of just calling for responses it's, it's acting like a turkey and, and hoping that curious curiosity in him or the hens he's with to come look and see what's going on 
Um, and a lot of times silence kills the gobbler, not the calling. It's when the it's when the calling ceases and, and he has to come take 10 more steps to see if it's still there. I place that barrier 30 yards in front of me, just like I would a decoy. But um, you place a decoy out there and that, you know, that throws 30 extra yards onto that. And a lot of times the turkey can see that decoy and he'll he'll hang up. You know, that's that notorious 80 yards, sit there and gobble, gobble his head off and wait for that decoy to walk to him. And a lot of it, I mean, the hen's supposed to walk to him. And then I'm, I'm one of those folks that moves around a good bit. So if, uh, if he moves from my 12 o'clock to my 9 o'clock and what I have for him to walk around, you know, that's probably not relevant anymore. So I got to move a little bit, <clears throat> whether it be 15 yards or, or make a loop to get on the complete opposite side of him. I'm, I usually have to move a little bit. And I'll wait till he gobbles. And I don't like moving between gobbles, but I'll wait till he gobbles to make him move. And a lot of times that's moving backwards, uh, moving backwards, moving away to make him think that I'm leaving. And a lot of times, you know, that's kind of irrelevant if you've got a decoy out there. And he can see that decoy, even though you can't see him or he's too far, you know, you're not, you're not tricking him with anything. You're not, you're not going to make him wonder where you went because he's looking at it. So throwing a decoy out there just completely kind of botches that whole, you know, way of, of hunting and I did grow up hunting learning how to so um the pure, uh, the persuasive type is what kind of what I was talking about I can definitely see how having a decoy would be very persuasive if you're if you're going to sit there and do some day calling and you know not move at all you, you know you got your tree and you, this is where they usually are so you're going to sit and wait and you know play your cards and hopefully he accepts you know he'll oblige that courtship and, and walk up there and you've got a pinpoint for him to walk to and you know that's you know you don't have to move around or anything like that i can see anytime you're trying to film stuff there um they would be uh, an asset and, and kids and, and folks and some folks just love watching them you know come in there and strut around the decoy for you know two whole minutes that's i mean i can see how people you know enjoy that um me i my kind of adrenaline rush is not then but when there's silence and i don't know where he is so um i i, I feel like that's very relatable you know kind of serotonin there is uh is, is what they feel when they're strutting around a decoy i feel when there's silence and i don't know where that gobbler is and between those two gobbles when he's you know closed 150 yards that's that's kind of what i live for more than watch him strut around and, and, and uh display that courtship so that right there what i think you just mentioned um in the uh curiosity versus persuasion is potentially mm-hmm. the hot take of this podcast uh, just listening to you describe that and like your your theory behind it and the consciousness, it just immediately made me think of situations that I've been in where I'm hunting pressured birds mm-hmm. where they're used to the stereotypical uh, right. calling setup. Right. And you add in that different technique where the realism is 100% there and mm-hmm. something that's completely... You're, you're, you're targeting something that's completely off the wall as far as like their biological ecology and more so built into just that curiosity aspect. I, I think that is awesome hot take right there. Right. And that's, and that's a lot of the reason why I don't like using uh, gobbler fans and stuff like that is because I think it, it's, it's, it's almost the more you, the more stuff you're able to use, you know, in your artillery, the more you're starting to, kind of tweak with their biological response to mm-hmm. to sight and sound and stuff and it's not a mind game it's a react it's a knee jerk it's a reflex more than anything and i just don't feel as you know that it was played as fairly that it is as, as accomplishing 
three birds that way might equal one in accomplishment for, you know, you're, you're, you're playing with his mind, you know, that's a, you know, you're making, you're making him choose, you know, he has to walk around or he doesn't, you know, if he sees you, he runs the other way, not at you kind of deal. Yeah, no, for sure. Exactly. And I know another one of your big topics in your podcast and the book as well is woodsmanship and for maybe newer turkey hunters or people in general who don't know what you're saying when you say woodsmanship, kind of go into a little spill on what you believe woodsmanship is and how it plays into a turkey hunter's arsenal. Uh, I mean, woodsmanship is the most important thing a turkey hunter can ever have. And that's, I mean, years proven. And, and I know y'all asked earlier kind of the his, the future of turkey hunting. And I promise you in 200 years, if we're able to hunt turkeys, woodsmanship will still be the most important asset a turkey hunter will ever have. I don't care if they've got live turkeys on wheels, woodsmanship will kill more turkeys and will make you a better turkey hunter for years to come. But woodsmanship is actually very hard to put into a definition. And it was really hard to think of one for the book. But um, I don't know what I wound up putting in there. But in essence, it's, it's the uh, kind of intuitive execution of knowledge and practice is kind of what I think I said. Um, it's intuitive meaning that it's a feeling you get, you know, it, it, this is right, this is wrong. This is, this is what I should be doing. Um, and a lot of that is just learned through experience. And that's uh, kind of something that I, I really try to, to hone on a lot of times is, is folks just getting in the woods and figuring it out. Turkeys are the, you know, they're very humbling herds. They're going to teach you everything. You know, if you, if you, if you try to outwit them, like I was talking about earlier, you're not going to outwit them more times than they outwit you. There's just, this, it's not going to happen. They're going to, they're going to win well over half the time that's all right that's what makes those few times you know so much fun um they're very keen birds they can see and hear and you know more probably better than anything i've ever you know kind of encountered in the boys um and a lot of times especially down here that they 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 this ain't their first radio they they know not all hens they hear are real hens they've been on it before you know most jakes don't make it to the long beard stage without being hunted at least once they know that you know, to keep an eye out. But woodsmanship is is getting in there and, and figuring stuff out as far as how to read nature for the most part, how to understand what um what it means when you get to the woods and the the birds are acting this way. I'm talking like tweety birds and songbirds and crows and owls and and how you can use that to to um to determine how much you call to a turkey. Um and then he, you throw in stuff like um, just how birds act in the rain, how birds act in the winds, everything from there on out. And um, they'll, uh, but, but no, woodsmanship is, um, is mainly taught by the birds. That's where I was getting at, I guess. Um, they'll, uh, they'll remind you of everything that you should have done, you should have not done for, uh, for several mornings to come. And, um, they are very quick to teach you what you should not do more than more than what you should do. But anything from like how to walk through a creek quietly, how to walk through briars quietly, uh, which side of a ridge you should be on if the wind's blowing from this direction, all the way down to um, just little things, um, which ways birds typically walk uh, if if you had to you know really choose straws, you know. Uh, they walk up a ridge, down a ridge, into the sun, away from the sun, you know, little things like that that 
over time, the more you kind of collect that mental data, the more it proves to be true or untrue. And, um, and a lot of times it's, you know, there's some things birds will typically do, but there's nothing they'll always do and there's nothing they'll never do. So that's the, the first tip in woodsmanship is understanding that notion that you can't predict anything. So to take everything with a grain of salt and uh, down to how, how much to call to a gobbler on the limb and, and down to which way he's facing by the tone of his gobble, you, you can tell little things like that and it'll make you a better turkey hunter, but it's only learned kind of through experience and, and talking with some old timers if you can get a hold of them. Woodsmanship is something that's really tough to explain, especially trying to do it through a podcast. It's almost something where you have to have that hunter there right next to you where they can right. see what you're doing. You can explain things to them because I also think that it varies from skill set to skill set. Like your skill set as, as far as a woodsman in the woods uh, could be completely different than mine, but we could still be right. effective in what we're trying to accomplish in the timber. Right. Yeah, and, and, and that's a, a lot of it's just knowledge that this is – these are things that will hang a turkey up, and these are things that a turkey will walk through. And I've also seen them walk through a thicket behind me like a rabbit. And I'm like, you know, I would have never thought that, but I'll never rule that out anymore. Um, he, he swerved a big open part of the cut over and came through, you know, a thicket. I thought it was a dog or something coming. And I'm turned around looking at it, trying to, you know, shoo it off so it doesn't scare the turkey, and it's the turkey. You know, my gun's in front of me, and I'm turned around – 180 degrees i'm like what in the why why did this turkey walk through briars i don't know you know mm -hmm. you'd never think it but learning little things like that and down to uh just how to how to you know i say well, we were talking about field birds earlier i don't use decoys but i know that a bird can't see you know you could be anywhere in the field and only see five yards into the woods or you can be anywhere in the woods and see the whole field so you know, knowing that you can move around and act like a turkey in there, they're not going to know it until, you know, they get close, you know, is, is, is very beneficial. And you don't have to just sit there. You can walk around if you're willing to. You can walk around, you know, down in the hollow, come back up, stuff like that, and just acting like a turkey. And, and, and down to how to sound like a turkey scratching in the leaves. Turkeys don't always just get in there and just wreak havoc and they have a, you know, a cadence to their scratching. If you don't, if you try to scratch anyway else, that turkey's going to know you're not a turkey scratcher. You're going to sound like a guy rubbing leaves with his hand because that's what you are. Right. And, and, you know, until you're able to study stuff like that, you know, but, but knowing how to do that is you can't take away knowledge. You can't, you know, you can't, you can't undo that. All you can do is build upon it. It comes from an observing mindset. And you got to first have that and learn, learn to listen, learn to, uh, to get taught because you're not going to learn anything until you're, you're ready to, uh, to get taught. And most times it's the hard way. Yeah, exactly. You can't beat that field time, but I want to transition here and I want to kind of really focus on uh, spring legion and the ideologies behind the brand, behind the company. So you kind of gave us a prelude there, uh, how spring legion got uh, started. And yep. one of the questions that I want to kind of, bring about or at least get this this ball rolling with was um can you just relay again what your ideologies were as far as like in on that february in 2019 what your goals were for spring agent um it was it was mainly to represent turkey hunters nationwide as we knew them to be and that was because i feared with social media with, uh, with the rise and 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 exposure to ways to kill a turkey it was it was becoming easier more than people were becoming better at getting 
you know, better at turkey hunting. And um, <clears throat> I was scared that if something wasn't out there to represent a way that, that we know turkey hunting to be, uh, the a little, some people call it old school, I call it normal, but it's like, you know, the the addiction that you get in, in mid-February to, to March where you're up at, you know, 3.30 to go listen for a turkey, you know, there's not everybody's out there doing it because they don't appreciate it that much. There's, there's appreciation to, to some folks who grew up doing it to, uh, just, you know, religiously, if you will. And, um, and if there's not something to make sure that that's kind of represented, I think a lot of people will by default have to, you know, just resort to whatever makes, you know, killing turkeys easy. That's how we're going to do it. And, and they're going to call that turkey hunting. And that's not what turkey hunting is to me. I wanted to make sure we had a way to represent folks who thought the same and, you know, you look at some of these numbers, rankings, and charts, and I don't think we're the only ones. I think there's a lot more out there that are, you know, mentally wired the same way we are, and and that's been, you know, a blessing in itself. Just just knowing that, I think turkey hunting is in good hands for a while, a lot better than I thought at the time. Folks who do respect the birds, who do appreciate the experiences and nourishment and opportunities that and, and adrenaline that that bird provides, and how hard it is to get that bird from a an egg to uh, a two-year-old long beard, much less a three or four-year-old long beard. Um, you know, it's, it's very slim and, and that's not something that uh, a, a dead body of a, of a bird is not necessarily a, a photo prop for Instagram likes. It's, it's something that, you know, a lot of people bust their butt year round to conserve and make sure that it was there for you to hunt, you know, treat it accordingly. And, um, and there was just a, uh, I uh, felt like there was a need, there was something lacking in the industry for, for something like that. And we wanted to not, not be the ones to do it. We just wanted it there. So sometimes you got to roll your season and do it. How do you, how do you find the balance between that? So like in today's world of combating social media uh, and just media in general, obviously you want to get, you want to get that mission across, but right. you also have to, fight the algorithms you have to fight what instagram wants to push out to their audience what facebook wants to put out to their audience etc cetera, etc cetera. what do you do or, or what have you you found to help kind of balance the the educating and the representation of turkey hunters and conservationists hunt, hunting conservationists uh versus like this the whole social media world um it's not I mean, you're talking about the algorithms or talking about, um, not, like, not, uh, not necessarily just like the algorithms, but kind of like what you spoke on, uh, there a little bit, like a turkey's not just a prop to get Facebook likes, right. but because yeah. that picture, because that picture is something that's like shocking to people, it's going to get pushed be- through the algorithm because that's what Instagram wants to show interaction, engagement, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Where's how do you, how do you find the balance? Does that make sense? Yeah, and there's not a balance. It's just uh, being authentic and being real. And um, and a lot of times, and that was a, a lot of the reason why we did create the brand was because I can't sit here and and it's just not right for me to sit here and bash people who do that without having something to provide in response. You know, without having another way for folks like say Grant. Like earlier this week, we posted a picture of his. Um, you know, just you know, respecting the bird and stuff like that. If, until I had something that I could, you know, say, provide otherwise, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't sit here and say, you know, folks shouldn't do that, shouldn't, 
you know, be running a water hose, throw a turkey's head to show off how cool their TSS is and stuff like, man, people kill them. You know, I don't think that's, that doesn't make you better. That means, you know, you, you bought something that, that, uh, that made it easier. Um, I don't know how people can associate pride with that so much, but they do. And, um, but like, uh, like I said, just having something that was able to provide folks who do respect it. And I think that's a lot of the reason why it's wrong. I try to make sure that point gets across on all platforms and all platforms are different. Instagram is for pictures and, um, you know, TikTok is for videos. We just got a TikTok like a couple weeks ago and just trying to bring some wisdomship, you know, tips and interaction and stuff and stuff there to reach a different, you know, a different realm of generation, you know, that'll, that'll one day be folks who, and I hope, you know, we reach and they're able to just expose, give, give people the opportunity to see turkey hunting as, as we see it, you know, they don't have to accept it. They can go on and do whatever they want to buckle a long beard up in their front seat and ride him around and make videos and dances or whatever you want to with him. That's your prerogative, but to, uh, to not have the, uh, the opportunity to, to read up on, on, you know, unsuccessful mornings as much as successful mornings and some of the stuff that, you know, the, the addiction is associated to more than uh, the addiction of likes is associated to, I think is, has been, uh, has been, has uh, accomplished that I'd say. Yeah. And going off what you said, I mean, it all comes down to how you want the hunting community to be represented. Like, you know, there's people out there, anti-hunters wanting everything put to stop and don't post a picture of someone with their boots right. stepping on a turkey head or head half blown off. Put something that respects the bird and shows how much you appreciate the gave his life for you. Right. You know, kind of, there's got to be some, some pride problems going on there. Like, you know, the, the, the you know, you, you definitely want, you got it. You got the bird, you know, there's some kind of uh, something going on there with a the foot on the head. And a, a lot of folks don't even know why people, you know, started doing that, you know, years ago when this is really the most humane way to kind of euthanize a bird is through a cerebral separation of the spinal column and that's the whole reason in doing that um and, and folks think that's just like a a thing you do is take a picture you know stomp on his head and take pictures of it that's what you do you know somebody somebody missed that somebody didn't relay the real part to them and they you know that's what i'll make sure that that doesn't just continue to snowball you know, throughout generations as, as folks disrespecting the bird. And I think a lot of people probably, probably perceived it as that, you know, it was more of a, a macho man thing than it was actually a humane, you know, a way to, you know, make sure that the, the bird is properly, you know, doesn't feel anything for, for until, you know, he's completely, he's completely dead. So, but at the end of the day, I mean, we are, you know, if we're going to create a brand that is around ultimately, the wild turkey and the killing of the wild turkey, you know, we got to make sure that we're giving back and that's something we're trying to trying hard to uh, really get out there um, and learn about is the conservation of the wild turkey and use the platform as it grows to make sure that we're also relaying that to, to, po- to folks who are following it that, you know, opportunities and stuff. Cause I mean, we've all been there. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, but a couple of years ago, I was just in it to kill turkey and that was it, you know, just to, to kill turkeys from March, May and, do whatever I wanted to after that, you know? Um, so it's definitely brought on a new responsibility in that, uh, thankfully that, um, you know, I'm learning as much as anybody, how to, how to go about the conservation of wild turkeys. And, and we're, we've actually got a, a t-shirt going now, just uh, launched on Tuesday, February 28th, then through March 14th with our buddies at Muscanine Bloodline, a band, uh, originally from uh, Alabama and, 
they live in Nashville now, but we're, uh, we're donating all proceeds of this really cool t-shirt idea we came up with to, uh, Dr. Mike Chamberlain at the University of Georgia and his team for turkey hunting research. I mean, wild turkey research. So, um, that's something, you know, we're just trying to think of little ways we can collaborate with other folks who, who want to help out any way they can. And, um, and, and just talking to Dr. Chamberlain, I'm sure a lot of folks have, you know, known about him for years that he is the wild turkey doc and he'll uh, definitely allocate those funds, you know, and as efficiently as possible. Uh, absolutely. And just real quick, go over your inspiration to write the Ballad of the Turkey Hunter book. And for people who don't know about the book, talk a little bit about it. Yeah, uh, the book was kind of written on a whim. It was written in a two-week quarantine uh, last year, I guess, 2001, maybe, or 2000, 2001. Um, but it's, a, it's something that, you know, I enjoy writing. Like I said, there's a way to illustrate in writing that is unable to be uh, kind of captured or illustrated in, in videos or pictures or, or even just voice. Um, you're able to kind of just hear what somebody's thinking or what they thought happened and, and what they perceived it to be and the illustrations that, that kind of, that come about their mind. And, and that's what it was written for. It was written, you know, it was written for today's time. It's a very short book, it's probably a hundred pages and the chapters aren't in sequence with each other. They're very, you know, sporadic, you know, one's about my first turkey, one's about uh, some college story that involves turkeys. And then one's about nothing but woodsmanship tips and stuff that I learned the hard way. And, One's about how to read a squirrel on which direction to point your gun barrel, all the way down to curiosity versus persuasion and, and stuff like that. And there's a some come to Jesus uh, meetings in there as, as far as some of the stuff that I feel very firmly about, and I'm not shy to speak my mind on. Um, but uh, but definitely uh, wrote it two weeks, published it accidentally on Amazon uh, last February, and uh, it's been kind of history since it went it released in the next. The next day, I had text from people saying, I just bought your book, looking forward to it. And I was asking them, how did you buy it? Because you're not supposed to be able to. And then the next, you know, few texts was, hey, you know, it's, you know, it's a bestseller now on Amazon. I'm like, well, that's cool. I didn't mean for it to even be out there. But Talk about that a little bit. How did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Wish I did. Um, <laughs> no, nah, I, I wrote it, published it, edited it all myself i did get my friend who took honors english to uh to look over and show me where to put some commas but other than that you know everything was kind of self-done and i got my friend who works at a printing company to to print off a few proofs that i could you know see what size it was and i mean i was literally in there on my computer that i'm looking at right now on word and just sitting there measuring margins and stuff on you know does the truth about turkey hunter whatever book or uh morning tom kelly's book i'm you know that's an inch and three quarters from the bottom so if this page is this I, I mean, that's what i was doing you know and i had to sit there and figure out how to format it like a book and i did and i'm, I'm counting pages all right what's a copyright page how do i put this on there and how what the heck's an isbn number how do i get one of those and file it with the copyright office and stuff like that um library of congress and stuff and did all that and you know, kind of uploaded it to Amazon and, and was hoping to get a proof from there and wound up, it published it, you know, overnight while I was asleep and didn't know it. And, uh, you know, it started trending, I guess, and folks started buying it and it, it's been a bestseller in a couple of different categories on Amazon. And now we've got hardcovers and, uh, paperbacks and collector's copies available at springlegion.com. And, um, it's been really cool to see. I think it, it's, it's done well in, in respect to turkey hunting books and, and there's a, i wanted to make sure that turkey hunting and literature never lost that bond because there is definitely a bond 
between turkey hunting and literature about the wild turkey that that folks i hope everybody gets a chance to understand you know they'll get a chance to read a tom kelly book or a you know gene nunnery or something like that or even you know nowadays doc weddle and, and folks who are still out there doing it um just there's there's something like you don't see many deer hunting or duck hunting or fishing books but but turkey hunting books there's a there's some about it. and i think a lot of that is because a lot of the emotions a lot of the addiction that's associated with turkey hunting is in the mind is in is in the body is in you know it's not something you 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 see it's something you think and feel so being able to you know put that into words is really cool um and and really fun to read about you know some of the, the patriarchs and and literature wild turkey literature still ever more popular today and i want to make sure that that doesn't end with you know a generation that's very you know instantly uh full of instant gratification on social media and and, and want things just voice uh voice activated and stuff like that sit down and read a paper book hold it tangibly there's not an uh an ebook you know i want to, I want people to have to get back to the holding paper bound uh in a cover type stuff right in it mess it up you know stuff like that and it's been it's been cool to see yeah i've got a couple copies myself and it's a great book and i think any turkey hunter should pick a copy up and read it for themselves I definitely appreciate that. And uh, this is kind of a two-part question, but what do you believe are some of the issues that the wild turkey is facing in today's world currently and as hunting conservationists that we should be doing to help tackle these issues? And on top of that, how do we get hunters to focus on turkeys year-round instead of just from March to May? Right. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's something worth looking at right now. I think um, I'm not, you know, scared to absolute death that the turkey will be extinct next year i think there there are enough folks out here that you know kind of give a dang about them enough to uh to make sure that that will never happen and i'm that'd be one of my you know fight tooth and nail if, if it came down to that um i think the 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 trajectory of them is a lot attributed to probably the year that that introduced a bunch of folks into turkey hunting and not necessarily how to turkey hunt they just they just wanted to go out there and get out there and i don't think they educated the birds as much you know kind of you know spooked as many as they did just finding you know easy ways to kill them and, and however they could just to they're bored they were on you know quarantine a lot of spring breaks were you know six months long um so that was definitely i think a big dent in it and i think a lot of it is um I mean, you can, I'm gonna, there's there's so many ways we can be taking steps to make sure that the future is uh, handled correctly. And actually, in Mississippi, we had what they called a wild turkey summit. It was folks I was, you know, very honored to be invited to it. Folks like uh, Ron Jolly, Cuz Strickland, Preston Pittman, you know, uh, Lake Pickle, Jimmy Primo, you know, folks that were, you know, known for, for turkey hunting around the Mississippi area, as well as legislators, and biologists, and game wardens. And we all sat down and thought about what what do you think you know well this is what i think is what i think and um that was very you know centric towards mississippi but you know it's inevitable you know nationwide that turkey hunting turkey hunting numbers are going up and turkey uh population numbers are going down and uh that's not a good uh good trajectory for the future so we got to make sure that before we start slamming on brakes and, and taking an opportunity away which is kind of a little difficult to, to add back in the future um that uh that we make sure more than anything that we're relaying that 
that it is a fragile resource that, that this the, uh, the populations can you know take a toll quicker than a lot of other things and we got to get out there and make sure that that uh, folks are appreciating the one bird as much as they are the the five and, and stacking them up on a tailgate for a cool picture you know some there's just as much appreciation found in, in, in getting schooled left and right with one bird uh that you kind of have that developed personal relationship with that you just you know get to know and have conversations with it feels like you know over time and um there's that to me there's more accomplishment in that more than just you know kill numbers and a, a spur rope but um but no i think uh anywhere from trapping uh, nest predators, which is not necessarily a year-round thing, uh, effectively. It's, I mean, a dead coon will never eat an egg, so there's never – that'll never hurt anything. Um, making sure that, you know, that's a very property-specific type deal. Um, you would have to wipe out all the coons, you know, consistently nationwide to really put a big impact um, on the on the, on the the numbers. I know that. There's, they're running data left and right, and I think a lot of folks out there, if you – whether you do or don't own public, I mean, whether you do or don't own private land or do or don't hunt on public land, um, there's there's so many organizations between the National Wild Turkey Federation and and even down to folks like uh, TFT and um, and and just local things going on left and right that you know there's there's no reason to to not you know contribute to to all of those really. Um, if you start looking at some of the the membership stuff, like it's it's, a, it's close to nothing on all of it. Um, so I mean. I think we owe it to the bird to, uh, to fund as much as we can about the research of them. And that's why, you know, a lot of stuff is going on. I think a lot of folks are hearing that. And that's what's kind of scaring some folks is that they're, they're trying to figure out a bunch of stuff. Cause right now, I don't think we, anybody knows, you know, really what's going on. If it's, you know, pinpointable. And I think it's a lot of different stuff. So people being conscious about it as a step, um, getting out there, habitat is huge, you know, burning uh burning during the burning seasons and, and really any time just to create turkey hunting habitat is huge um making sure that we're taking care of the resource that we love most is, is the biggest thing and making sure that we pass that on you know a lot of folks out here um that don't respect it they don't appreciate it they don't you know care if it's here next year or not they're gonna find something else to get into those are the ones that just they just didn't have the opportunity to be taught you know the same as a lot of us were blessed so making sure that we're able to get that out there, use social media for good to uh, to get that out there um, is it, a huge step. And if you change minds, that's the quickest way to change that population uh, trend and, and turkey numbers is if you start changing minds, people will appreciate it a little more. That's the, that's that's not a quick fix. That's a that's a uh, an exponential fix right there. And um, I think uh, until until some folks, you know, really sure enough, figure it out. You know, I'm I'm, I'm trying. I've got a little book right here. I'm trying to look at some analytics and stuff like that which is um largely based on surveys so i don't know if enough people realize how big of a deal that is um taking those little surveys and stuff like that um calling your uh your department uh wildlife fishing parks and stuff like that and, and asking hey what's some stuff i can be doing i promise you there's probably stuff you can be doing that you didn't know about there's a lot of stuff that i found out looking for the dang number to call to uh to, uh, to get a hold of the, the folks in Mississippi about getting a, a stamp in motion like Arkansas does. Um, I found out about a lot of stuff that they're doing that I had no idea about. It's just, you know, it's out there. You just, until you dig around, you don't know about it. And there's been opportunities that I missed because I hadn't actively, you know, went and looked for it. So I encourage everybody to just, just start Googling stuff, literally. Um, stuff you can be doing. And there's usually like some stuff going on probably within the next couple of weeks of your house, no matter where you live, that you could be doing that'll help wild turkeys in the future.
Yeah, and I kind of just want to piggyback off uh, what you're going with there and I guess bounce a couple questions or just get your thoughts. Uh, the the first part you mentioned about the, the influx in more turkey hunters into the sport, if you will, uh, it's almost it's almost like a double-edged sword, right? So now right. you have more pressure on the birds, but the flip side of that too is now you have more shareholders in the state, right? So right. you have more people that care about the resource as long as they're put in a successful situation. It very seldomly do you see, let's just use turkey hunters for example, very seldomly do you see a, a turkey hunter that cares about turkeys that is unsuccessful at harvesting turkeys as a person that is a better turkey hunter. Does that make sense? Somewhat, and then and then somewhat I'll disagree because a lot I do know a lot of folks who are, have killed like one or have not never killed one that are just as addicted, and that's a rare you know occurrence. But um, yeah, you you definitely won't because it is a feat. I mean, there's a there's a reason why. I mean, the limits are two and one and three most states you know it's it's you know over the whole season whereas it's not the same for you can kill six ducks a day you know it's I man it kind of shows you the the difficulty in it um so um so a lot of folks i do know that that, that have never killed a turkey that appreciate it just as much but once they do you know they can get one gobble 35 yards from them and not be able to kill it um like a lot of times that does happen um and they're they're about just as hooked as they can get but obviously like you said they want to be successful and they want i think with turkey hunters they want the opportunity to go. That's just what they don't want taken away is the opportunity to go and experience the spring boys, experience gobbles, go out there and hear these birds that they kind of live for. It's already a somewhat of a short season time of the year. Um, they just want the opportunity to go out there and have a chance. They don't, you know, Absolutely. they don't they don't necessarily want to go out there and for sure kill one as many times as possible. They want the chance to get out there and go. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. And like, I guess kind of going off of what I said there earlier, that was totally just based upon speculation and yeah. more so like a majority. But the other thing that I wanted to point out too, that I think a lot of, well, let's just say it flies under the radar, I think is uh, the habitat aspect that you touched yeah. on and the lack of, I don't want to say lack of, but the the knowledge out there as far as the understanding of turkey ecology. And like you said, uh, Doc Turkey, I mean, he's, he's the man in, in the game as far as that goes but i think what let's just say the layman for lack of a better term turkeys utilize space differently than what most people realize so for example uh you have like wintering habitats then you have spring habitats summer habitats fall habitats etc etc and it's much more important because those habitats are so different from one to the other whereas you look at a whitetail the the separation of those habitats isn't as drastic but with turkeys it is and the cooperation between public and private can is extremely important whereas in my opinion in the whitetail world it's not anywhere near as important and making sure that we come together as uh hunting conservationists and work together for that habitat improvement i think is going to be substantial in making sure that turkeys are here for our grandkids and our great grandkids, et cetera, et cetera. Right, and that's a and that's a big thing. And, and there's that's something that I I was kind of stressing on last week was um 
making sure that, you know, private landowners are aware of some, some opportunities that's there that, um, a lot of times for free, you know, the, the, the services will come out there, uh, you know, and, and, and help you out. There's a, you know, all kinds of consultants and stuff like that, that that'll come out there and, you know, give you a rundown of what needs to be done for wild turkeys. And there is a little bit of a difference there. And a lot of that is the timing of the year, because a lot of it is nesting and brooding, raising of the poults, which is very hard to, uh, to raise to be a turkey, a full grown, you know, two year old long beard. So um, anything you can do to help there. Um, and then, um, but yeah, just, uh, it comes down to a lot of, a lot of it's going to be knowledge of, of what you need to be doing and, and we need to do a better job of getting that out there because we can, we can fund all the, the habitat work in the world for public lands, Mississippi, but that's like 8% of the state. So like, I mean, right. you know, if they're perfect, that's still only 8% of the state. So like, you got to make sure that we're able to get that out there to the other private land owners that, uh, and I own like, I own zero private land. I own the third of an acre I live on. So I, I depend a lot on the on public land, and, and I'm glad that a lot of stuff goes to that, and a lot of on, uh, just friends that have given me permission to hunt with them and stuff like that. So, you know, there's not as much I can go out there and do on a, a plot that I own, but I can go out there and, and help others and and try to try to be the middleman between. Hey, I think I'm not positive, but I think this is not what turkey hunting habitat looks like. Let's see if we can make it look like turkey hunting habitat. Um, and this is it kind of buys you in. We were talking about earlier about the appreciation for it. Um, that that in itself, then then the success shifts from a dead turkey to a live turkey over time. You know, folks are that's the success of seeing poults and seeing a seeing a big flock of hens and, and some long beers that they're not used to seeing. That becomes a success way more than the dead turkey over their shoulder, but the ones that are living now. And when that, that mind shift shifts, that's when you know you got some passion to do like turkey hunt. When you, when you switch that passion to saving turkeys instead of killing them, I, you step back and watch, you know, watch and learn type of deal. Let's just, it, let it roll. It'll spin like a top. But, um, but until we kind of get that out there and, and make sure that that's uh, an option for people to accept, or I guess in some cases deny, but I don't think it would, um, you know, we got to make sure we're able to, to present them with that opportunity to conserve them more than kill them. No, 100%. I 100% agree with you there. It, it's funny, like, you see those uh, posts on Facebook where it talks about the, the maturation of uh, a hunter, and it starts out with kind of like that bloodthirsty aspect, and then it's like you're, you mature to a, a situation where you want to hunt a certain way, and then uh, lastly, or, or tied into the last part, is, is taking a new hunter out and getting them the experience and then the preservation slash conservation of whatever species you're hunting. Exactly. I, I mean, I, that's pretty spot on, if I could say. I think everybody goes through that, and that's why we try hard not to, like, you know, harp on, you know, make sure we don't down anybody's way of going about it. I'll never just degrade a hunter because of a, a way he does something, as long as it's legal and he enjoys doing it. Um, it's um, a, a lot of times it's just I think there's a – a, a more appreciative way sometimes that, because we're on different, you know, stages, we're on different chapters. You can't compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 25, exactly. you know? Um, so it's one of those type of deals. And, and I think it's a lot of it is inevitable, no matter you know who you are, you kind of go through this. I did, I, I was out there killing them at whatever I had to do to kill them. And, and I wanted to kill as many as possible, as efficiently as possible. And, and, you know, it was never a, there was always, there might've been a little bit more special of an appreciation for them, just the way I was raised, you know, in the Turkey woods through and through. Um, and, and just growing up kind of how I did, you know, like we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, but nevertheless, 
I don't think anybody's able to really swerve that that killing phase and stuff like that. And, and I hope nobody's able to swerve the conservation and, and passing it on phase because that's definitely a definitely at the end of it. And, and I'm expecting twins in the uh, middle of April, so I'm, I'll be having a little more motivation to pass it on. And um, you know, it's just a whole new mindset and, and, and making sure and making sure that the folks uh, that are able to reach that last stage without uh, without doing too much damage because. Uh, sure. Myself included, we got some some ground to cover on uh, on a few things. Congratulations on the twins! I appreciate that. So uh, we're working on an hour here, and I guess we should probably start wrapping up. I know you're a busy busy fellow, uh, but kind of to bring this podcast full circle, and it is a hunting podcast. I just want to kind of touch on some some hunting tactics again and get your perspective. So. With that being said, what do you think are the most common mistakes that new and experienced turkey hunters make in the timber? Ooh, the new uh, a combined mistake. Let's see. I think most mistakes, whether you're new or experienced, it comes down to where you set up at. Um, a lot of times I'll see folks all the time, whether it's somebody on you know, that's been doing it for years or myself or somebody that's new, they'll set up where they can't, they can't move right here or something like that, you know, and, and I promise you, whatever, you, you have to keep those options open because uh, a turkey will never do what you expect him to do, you know, set up, he's going to set up, for, you know, when he comes down this road, I'm thinking, no, you need to set up over here. So if he comes down this road or through this thicket or through these hardwoods over here to the right, you, you still got a shot, you know, people, people tend to think they know what the turkey's going to do. I will never, I'll fight tooth and nail. Somebody says that turkey's going to fly down and come up this road. I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say you must not have been turkey hunting long enough because there ain't nothing I know that turkey's about to do because I have no idea what he's about to do till he does it. Um, that's just a respect to the bird because, I mean, they they can do, the only predictable thing about them is they're unpredictable. And um, a lot of folks kind of get, this is it's one of them stages where you think you've got to figure it out. Yeah, you, you keep thinking that and they'll humble you real quick. They'll humble me at least, you know, once a year, make me think, man, I'm an idiot. You know, I thought that I thought this was 100 percent work and I was so I couldn't be more wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And going on top of that, maybe talk about a little of your calling strategies and for someone getting into turkey hunting, how they should. I know everybody always says you call too much or you don't call enough, which is kind of a situational <laughs> thing. But how would you your advice to someone just getting you with calling? It, that it is a situational thing that. um that's really the only things you can really mess up is calling too much or not enough. And there's really, even then there's not a hard line to, to ride right there. Um, the, the quality of calling is about 5% of turkey hunting. Probably calling altogether is probably 10, 80% is woodsmanship. And then like whatever's remaining, if any is like weather and turkeys to hunt. Um, so, I mean, really, when it comes to calling, I like to, and I'm the guy that counts, counts a uh, hen's yelps. Like when they're on the tree, how many times they yelp, you know, this is a four note yelp. This is a six note yelp. When they cut 10 times, they're usually walking. Um, when they cut six times, they're usually standing still. Just little, you know, mental notes all the time since I was a kid. I was always doing that. You know, I mean, I just kind of think differently, I guess you'd say. Um, but, um, but no, just uh, getting out there, hens, hens are the worst turkey callers in the world. You know, they'll never win a, a calling championship or anything of that sort. So um, so don't get discouraged that uh, your calling is not great, but but get out there and, and mimic them. Get out there and listen to the hens. And, or, shoot, you can look them on YouTube. That's YouTube for good there. Um, 
you know, put a call in your hand, put a call in your mouth and, and get in there and, um, and just try to call, you know, try to mimic them. And it's going to sound raspy and messed up and that's all right. But that's, that's, that's how humans sound. Um, I do that. Like, you know, it all depends. I like to, uh, some little tips and stuff like that. I'll try to fire up the hens. I'll try to mimic them. And then, um, say a gobbler is hung up. I'll, you gotta be very opportune in calling. I think there's, there's a intuition there. Um, like if a, if a gobbler's hung up and an airplane flies over, I'll call during that airplane flying over because he can't, he can't really hear it and it makes him wonder. Um, or, uh, or if it's windy, I'll call it during, you know, while it's windy or, or you know, um, to make him have to wonder where that's coming from because he can't, you know, but no, nah, just, uh, yeah, like just use, using uh, a lot of uh, calling as the opportunities that uh, is, is when to call more than it is how good you're calling. So um, even down to calling uh, calling during the wind or calling while an airplane flies over or something like that. If an airplane flies over, I'll use the call to the loud or something because the gobbler can't hear it. So he's going to have to wonder where it is. So anything that's going to make him wonder where that's coming from, make him respond vocally or, you know, physically walk to see where, you know, where it came from. Um, you know, just little things like that is way more important than, than how good it is. Um, like I said, in the wind, you know, calling her in the wind and making him wonder where it was coming from or if the wind's making it move. Uh, stuff like that is a little more woodsmanship than it is calling, but, <clears throat> but, um, but no, it has all that has zero to do with the quality of calling. So I, I like to use a, uh, a, a, I call, I all pot call slate calls, but I use a slate calls really class and, uh, Mouth call and a box call, and that's you know that's mainly it. Uh, I haven't got on the the trump call or the wing bone uh, game yet, or the tube call game yet. Um, my brothers they do, but I try to stick to the basics as much as possible, and that's right. That's about it. Uh, that's that's really good advice there. I mean, I really appreciate the way that you look at tricky hunting from an analytical and just like a a completely different mindset from a lot of the, uh, the other information as far as me being a novice that I see pushed out, regurgitated, whatever in uh, <laughs> turkey hunting tactics and stuff like that. I, I have a similar mindset, but it's more geared towards whitetails and it, mm-hmm. it's making a lot of sense to me. Yep. Not. And then turkey hunting is very meticulous breed of people. So um, I know there's a lot more out there like that. And it's, it's fun when you break it down that way. For sure. Grant, did you have any other questions? Uh, no, I think that's pretty much covered everything. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll wrap up here. But uh, my last question for you, Hunter, and I really appreciate you hopping on and taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this podcast with us. But being that uh, you've built this brand and this lifestyle, this community, uh, I think it's really important to maybe discuss and talk about a little what the future of spring legion looks like what maybe your goals are in the next three five ten years whatever uh that you have set for yourself in the brand yeah um it was really and it's funny you say that because it was found kind of on a whim and uh, a lot of stuff that's a little bit of our mantra is just winging everything we've done so far we went from you know buying a ten dollar go mic on podcast now we're number six in all the wilderness on apple podcast charts and hosting the nwtf awards you know like how did we get here from you know trying, we couldn't figure out how to plug in a mic to a computer now we're you know being the host of certain things um and that's just kind of what we're doing we're, we're riding the wave however and we listen to our followers to our customers to, to our listeners a lot 
um, or what they want and what they, they think is needed. And a lot of it is, is providing what is needed. You know, you, you provide something that's already being provided. It's not needed anymore. Um, you know, just being there and, and able to be a voice for turkey hunters, a platform to be used for turkey hunting um, is, is really the only thing we want to do. The only goal we have is to add value to turkey hunting and uh, add value to turkey hunters. Um, you know, that's uh, anywhere from turkey number populations to, you know, cool apparel. It don't matter. Um, you know, we just want to make sure it's adding value. And that's really our only goal. And when you, when you, it, it's easy to make things complicated. It's harder to simplify them down to something just so very, you know, very vague like that. Uh, that's actually harder than it is to uh, reach X amount of sales and stuff. Um, it's just keeping it simple like that. Um, but no, it's, it's definitely growing and we want to just do anything we can to make sure it grows. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I, I love, I love that you uh, said about winging it. But also yeah. uh, anything that you can do to conserve and protect turkey hunting and turkey conservation. I mean, that's that's excellent. So where can our audience find your podcast? Where can they find uh, your your apparel? Uh, plug your plug your plug your deal here. Yeah. Um, no, pretty much anything you need to know is on SpreeLegion.com. You can get the Ballad of a Turkey Hunter. Uh, paperback or hardcover edition signed there at springlegion.com and 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 anything bought on that website is signed and uh, the collection copies are numbered and signed and then uh, you can also find them on amazon if you want an unsigned version but uh at spring legion we've got the apparel the hats books everything um a little more info on the podcast is the spring legion podcast on apple spotify wherever you choose to uh, stream podcasts and uh, we, you know, we've had some pretty cool guests on there the past few between Cus Strickland and, and Dave Owens and, and David Hawley, and um, you know, some 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 fun times here uh, lately. And we just did a live one with uh, the Primos guys, at Lake and Jordan. We uh, we recorded it live in front of a, a Starville, Mississippi bar. So it was it, we just had a lot of fun. Uh, um, That's pretty. Doing cool. stuff that we wish we were able to do when we were in college, and, and you know, provide something that we've always thought would be fun. We think it's fun. We do it. Um, but now anything, anything you need is at springlegion.com. And then all our social handles between Instagram, uh, I think we even got Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat. It's all Spring Legion. And, and, and we'll keep you posted from there on out. Excellent. Now, and we really appreciate, like I said, Hunter, hopping on. Uh, I'll make sure I have the links, uh, the tags, everything for all that information that Hunter just dropped, the website. Uh, the Ballad of a Turkey Hunter social links in the show notes. Absolutely. Thank you all. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Whitetail Thirties podcast.